0: friday and welcome to minute 105 of the great escape minute the daily podcast where we dig into the great escape one minute at a time i'm rob and once again joining me and finishing off the week is father david mowry chaplain to the movies by minute community welcome back father david
1: Oh, Rob, I mean, I know these Black Friday deals are really great, but do we have to record at 4 a.m. to make sure you get to the doorbuster? I mean, this, this just seems a little, a little ridiculous, but, you know, for uh, for the great escape, I'm willing to do it. All right. Okay.
0: Just there get go. some coffee and I'll be ready to go. Now I can actually see what you mean when you said that you, you did a little bit of theater in uh, you know years ago. <laughs> so it's, it's done very well. Very well.
1: Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank—oh, well, thank—oh, my goodness, an Academy Award. Well, I'd like to thank the Academy. I'd like to thank Donald Pleasance for being my role model for all my entire acting career.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, Minute 105 begins with Colin trying to explain why he's starting to have second thoughts and goes all the way to Hilts being let out of the cooler once again all week we've been having this uh, discussion this fascinating discussion about you know whether colin should be going on this escape or not because of his failing eyesight or not and you know roger and henley have debated it all week and yesterday we basically they came to the decision that henley is going to be the one to to be he's going to be the seeing eye dog <laughs> and help him help him get out of of, of the camp and, and get home to freedom and safety. But after Henley offer, makes that offer, so Colin starts saying, "Well, maybe, maybe he's right. You know, maybe I shouldn't be going. My eyes have actually been getting worse." He continues with that at this point, and he says that he thinks what he has is progressive myopia. Now that's pretty astute for for. For someone like him to know that this is, you know, to be able to self-diagnose, yeah, you know, he doesn't have the internet or Wikipedia or what's the name of the uh, the, the, the doctor site that you, well, you WebMD. He doesn't even. Ha- he
1: doesn't have no, but he doesn't even have Encyclopedia Britannica. He doesn't even have World Book. So it's very impressive that he's able to diagnose this. Maybe because of his familiarity with optics and photography, and birds. he has heard about this before.
0: Uh, quite possibly. You know, it's the, it's, it's the the idea of uh, the doctor of a certain disease actually getting that disease later. You know, knowing so therefore they're they're much more familiar with it. That type of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. so maybe maybe you know he moonlighted in in a in in an eyeglass store or something like that.
1: Possible, know. possible.
0: Yeah, exactly. But but to know that he has progressive myopia is is pretty is it's pretty impressive. Let, let's put it that way. And then, then he starts mentioning that, okay, he can see things up here, and then he takes the pin and nearly pokes his eye out with it. Uh,
1: really setting off my anxiety. I, I have, oh, just so so many qualms about sharp things being that close to something as sensitive as the human eye. So it did just gives me the heebie-jeebies.
0: Yeah, like, I completely understand that. And he goes, I, close, too. And he says, I can, yeah. I can see to work, but... <laughs> But then
1: he looks uh, close enough to work, which and so his his comment about being close enough to work is what's what made me think that this was later than the same day when we had that encounter with Smythe that he's been able to continue to do the work for a while, even as his eyesight has gotten worse because he's been able to attend to things close up and you know no one's going to fault the forger for looking very closely at a piece of documentation so that's not going to strike anyone as being particularly odd
0: correct but i think it has to do with the fact as, as we discussed earlier this week that this has been something that that's been ongoing this isn't just in the blink of an eye he has you know this uh, progressive myopia this is something that is progressive you know so he knows that as i said has been getting worse over over time and And when he was looking at the thing from Smythe, then he he happens to notice, you know, the the eagle missing. So at that point is when it it hits home that, okay, things have gotten worse. You know, he's been able to work up until that point. So I I think that's what he might be saying. And then then he refers to uh, Henley as being just a blur, which goes back to our uh, Mm -hmm. Tatooine comment from earlier this week. You know, instead of seeing a dark blur, now I see a light blur.
1: <laughs> well, it reminds me of when i was a kid and i eventually had to get glasses it was because uh, of or not anything this forging, difficult but
0: that, uh, that
1: look i've been advised by my lawyer not to comment too heavily upon my past but uh, let, let's suffice to say that i was having difficulty seeing things on the blackboard and so i needed to get some glasses and it's that Blurry sensation. You just you get so used to it if you live for a, a long time being nearsighted like I am. Like just things far away, yeah, you're just not going to see them in very good detail. So what an amazing experience to get my first pair of glasses and all of a sudden, oh, I can see clearly all the way across the room and I can make out details and and faces and what's written on the board. Wow, this is this is really so. Is this what it's like for everyone else? And no one told me. Holy smokes!
0: Yeah, I've actually heard a story of a friend of mine's. I don't remember if it was their son or daughter where they were seeing things blurry but they didn't know they were seeing things blurry they thought that that's the way everything looks Uh, until one day Mm -hmm. they got glasses and then realized wait a second, what I was seeing before isn't correct, so that's similar to what you're saying So uh, I've I've never experienced that myself so I I couldn't tell you whether that is true or not but I believe it is (laughs) so at this point basically Henley agrees with him when he says that you're just a blur you know, then, then once again, as we discussed yesterday, we we get James Garner thinking for a few seconds. You know, he's he's trying to. Yeah, he
1: he looks like he's men. He's he looks like he's mentally a blur while he's yeah, thinking.
0: He's, I, I I think he's personally debating whether he made the right decision at this point or not. Now he's stuck with it. You know. Mm-hmm. Then he tries to cheer himself up by saying, oh, well, oh hell, we'll make it in in great shape. You know, no, nothing like trying to 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 keep your spirits up. <laughs>
1: There's that American can-do spirit. Yeah. All right, sure, I've just agreed to guide this blind man through enemy territory while having to pass off as Germans. Uh, sure, we can do this. We'll make it out in great shape. What could possibly exactly. go wrong?
0: <laughs> he basically says something that's, that's very interesting because based on what he said earlier in the movie, at this point he asks Colin if he has any tea. Now, weeks ago when we discussed Colin making tea and, and discussing how, having tea without milk is uncivilized. Henley mm-hmm. at that point said that, that he had tea once when he was in the hospital, meaning tea is for sick people. I don't drink tea. So the, the question here...
1: I'm a manly American man. I drink coffee black. I don't drink any of that namby-pamby exactly. tea.
0: So the question that we can ask here is, is, is he now saying, all right, you know, I don't have any booze, so I'm just going to have tea with, uh, with Colin because this is a decision that we made and we're, we're, we're going to be uh, breaking out shortly. Or is he basically saying that over the course of his friendship with Colin, he's actually learned to to enjoy tea?
1: I think it's a little bit of that. It's a little bit of appreciation for tea. Now, who knows how fresh the tea is? Colin admits that he's reused the leaves yes. so long, uh, even before he arrives at camp. But Henley being Henley, I'm sure he got him fresh tea. But I think it's also another sign of Henley's willingness to put the needs of others before his own. And he's doing something to cheer Colin up because Colin is expressing these second thoughts. He's doubting the wisdom of this plan. And Henley's trying to give him something to cheer him up. And he knows how much he enjoys a good cup of tea, being the good Brit that he is. And so Henley's offering that as a form of distraction.
0: But, you know, overall... Maybe because, maybe because Henley knows that once they escape, they're not going to have tea. <laughs> probably not.
1: But, but as, I, as I talk about this aspect of Henley's character, no, it really is of a piece with his role in the camp. He's a scrounger. His job is to get what other people need, and he doesn't take things for himself. It would be really easy to abuse that position and get all, get all the nicest stuff for himself, but then he would not be trusted within the camp as scrounger. Correct. So he's, he's made his niche in the you know, escape mission team by being selfless, by putting his skills at the service of others and making sure that everyone else has what they need. And so now he's doing relationally for Colin what he's been doing materially for everyone involved in the escape mission.
0: Right. We also, we also know from, from earlier scenes that, that he's not a materialistic person himself. He has in his locker the bare minimum of things. I think he has mm-hmm. like a toothbrush, a shaving kit, and, and his hat. Or something like that. I'm, right. I'm trying to remember specifically. He he, he travels very lately, partially because he knows that whatever he needs he's gonna be able to get. But there's also the aspect that he doesn't need anything. You know, his job is to get, as you said, to get for everybody else. So I think that right. that, that that's a great point. Yeah, you know, we, we, we do learn so much about his character just through that. He really is selfless in everything that he's doing. Mm-hmm. Which as you said, makes him the great scratcher. I mean, this isn't he's not doing it for, for a fee. You know, this isn't your normal prison movie, or you know, even in Shawshank is a, is an example. You know, where where you know, in order to, to, to get something, so you have you have to pay for it. Here, it's all being done selflessly for for, for the the needs of of, of uh, the whole group.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: That's done really well, and we can see that that he is able to cheer Colin up quite quickly because he just mentions tea. And Colin gets all giddy and, uh, you know, smiles and and says, splendid, you know, stands up to go get his tea. You know, he should be careful that he doesn't hit the stove on the way.
1: I I do love that Blythe knows where he keeps his tea. He doesn't need to see that. He's so accustomed to getting all the, the tea set pieces that he doesn't need to worry about his eyesight failing him when it comes to his precious tea time.
0: Correct. That's very true. And that ends... The this whole long discussion that we've had all week in the room of Colin and Henley, the shot then dissolves, and we get to see Hiltz sitting in the cooler, looking a little bored. Uh, you know, he's got his baseball and ball next to him, which we know it's like his American Express card. He doesn't go anywhere without it,
1: uh, <laughs> even, even when he's in the cooler. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it, it, it's interesting because most times that we see him in the cooler, he's... He's of good spirits, and he's always got a smile on his face. And, and this is the first time that we see him. He's clearly he's deep in thought. You know whether he's—he's. Mm-hmm. He, he's, I mean, anyone who's seen the movie knows that he's about to be released, and uh, you know they're getting ready for the for the escape itself. But he's thinking about something. Is you know the question is what is he thinking of? You know is he is he thinking all right? When are they going to finally let me out of here? Or is he mm-hmm. thinking about? All right, this is the. I, I have to try to still remember, you know, the, the different times of the trains that are going to be leaving from the train station in, in Zagan. Yeah,
1: I think if. that's it. Because now, uh, as as opposed to previous times where he's been in the cooler because he's attempted an escape and he's being punished, now he has something to give to other people. So he's no longer coming up with his own escape plan, which is normally what he thinks about when he's in the cooler. Now he has to keep all these details in mind, which aren't like going back to our theme with Henley, you know, trying to put others before him. Now Hiltz has to put the escape of others before his own. He has this information to give, which isn't necessarily for him, but it's now for everyone else. And that kind of, self-sacrifice that kind of team dynamic is something that's a little new to Hiltz in this movie he's a little bit of a loose cannon plays by his own rules now he's played by steve mcqueen so no surprise there but now he's <laughs> he's got to carefully think through all this information and try to report it back as accurately as possible so i i'm not surprised to see him so deep in thought because he has to think about no, a whole new set of data
0: but let's say he's been there for, for, for two weeks, three weeks, you know, however long he's in the court yeah. for. You know, that's a long time to be trying to sit and, and remember by rote the, the different timetables and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, I mean, he, he obviously is able to remember it. In, in the, the real escape, what they had was they had someone that, that they sent out. It wasn't Hilts because there, there were no Americans in, in that part of the camp at that time uh, during the real escape. So, but they did have someone go out not long beforehand and, and get captured on purpose in order to give them some information about uh, timetables for trains and stuff like that they They never mentioned how long that prisoner actually was in the cooler for mm-hmm. but it is possible that they actually gave got that information out before before he was released from the cooler, I'm trying to remember you know if there was a way of of uh, you know, getting it to intelligence along the way or something like that. Don't
1: know. The best you could do is have some... Well, no, because the cooler is separate from the rest of the camp. So how would Mac get any information out of there? Hmm, what an interesting logistical challenge.
0: Well, Mac, Mac has gotten
1: Yes, he has.
0: Because, uh, because, you know, when when we discussed this months ago, when Hilton Ives started to, to burrow out, so they made that uh, decision while they were in the cooler, and somehow Mac found out about it. You know, mm-hmm. They weren't sure exactly what their blitz was, but they knew that they were going to try something. Yeah. Uh, so somehow they got it, and that's not the information you would get from a guard. No. Probably not. <laughs> not a not a good idea to get the information like that from a guard. Then uh, you know we as, as we said we get a lot of time for him to to be thinking, and then he hears some. Uh, He's jingling and then he, he jumps out. So, you know, thankfully he's he's still getting enough uh, food and water while he's in the cooler. You know, he's not uh, weak from uh, from sitting in there. You know, malnourished or whatever mm-hmm. it is. At least not in the way they depe- depict depict the, the cooler here. For you know, they they just show us the cooler is okay. Like you're sitting in a in a room all by yourself. But apparently, you still have pretty good uh, conditions besides that.
1: He is an officer, and so he's he is afforded treatment that's governed by international rules regarding the prisoners of war.
0: Yes, but I'm um, assuming you've seen Bridge over the River. Before. Oh,
1: of course I've seen Bridge over the River Quiet. Okay,
0: so so not <laughs> not every place gives officers the the credit that they you know always need to have. That
1: is true. So just
0: because just because they might treat them well in the camp itself, it doesn't mean that they're going to treat them as well in the cooler.
1: Fair yeah. enough. Having not been in the cooler recently myself, I cannot attest to it firsthand.
0: Yeah, I, I have that same problem. Maybe we'll have to try and find someone who's been in the cooler that can tell Excuse
1: me, could you put me in a cooler? When, when, what? When they
0: eventually get out. Yeah. <laughs> but you can see that his clothes are still dirty. Yeah, he's,
1: he's managed to so, get the, yeah. the mud off of his face, but yeah, he's still got the dirt stains on yeah. his shirt. Uh, what I what I love is the little smirk you get on Steve McQueen's face as he's about to head out, which is so Steve McQueen. There's just that effortless attitude, that effortless cool that comes off of him, like, Oh yeah, I'm pretty hot stuff and he's about to make his way out of the cooler. So even though the Nazis are in charge, Hills is in complete command of this situation. He's completely self possessed.
0: Yes. I think that's one of the, the themes of the character of Hilts throughout the entire movie, the fact that mm-hmm. nothing can break him. You know, the idea is, is that, that, you know, you know the, the thoughts of freedom and the thoughts of, of, of hope are always there. And it doesn't matter how many times you put me in the cooler, I'm going to still, you know, I'm going to come out with a smile. And if I come out with a smile, you know, that, that's going to drag down the, the Germans even more. Because their idea is they want to break him. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they, might want, they might want to sit the war out uh, you know, uh, comfortably, but they still, you know, they're still, still guards. And they, they want to make sure their prisoners are, are, are not happy in the situation that they're in. Now,
1: prison is not a fun place to be. Especially
0: when being punished. And, yeah. So, basically, Strathlitz is standing outside the door, which is nice that you know, they bring him in to, mm-hmm. to escort Hilts out. We we still get the same guard who who is always in the cooler to uh, to to be there. The guy he he stole mm-hmm. the keys mm-hmm. from uh, right. months ago. But uh, the way that he looks at Schachwitz when he smiles, he's basically saying, "I've won. You're, you're not. You haven't been able to break me." And you're not and, going and to break as me.
1: far as Hilt knows, this is the last time he's going to be in this cooler because he's getting out. There's a big old. Uh,
0: that's well, that's what he thinks every time. But this time the for the real.
1: This time for real, he's getting out and he's not coming back.
0: Exactly, I'm I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah, mm-hmm. save, save the room for me just in case. <laughs> all right, so as we've been discussing all week, this is uh, Donald Pleasance Appreciation Week. We we did have uh, Donald Pleasance in the the, the first half of, of this uh, this minute. So, Father David, would you like to once again give a recommendation of a Donald Pleasance movie from?
1: i would love to and uh, the the movie i have for friday is the intersection of the career of two greats of cinema donald pleasance of course whom we've been discussing all week and the movie today was directed by roman polanski his second film in english called cul-de-sac a 1966 thriller where donald pleasance plays a deeply neurotic <laughs> character who lives in a castle in a remote tidal island who has his home invaded by two gangsters and burglars and uh hilarity ensues <laughs> as, as it can only happen in a Roman Polanski movie uh no i'm i'm speaking facetiously of course it's a it, if there are any comedic elements to it it's all black comedy it's a very intense thriller and there are a a, a lot of very uh, a lot of very moving well moving is not quite the right word but very engaging performances by donald pleasance and uh by the the, his his co-stars in the movie so if you're able to stomach a little thriller like that i recommend cul-de-sac well all right
0: again you've you've picked another one that i haven't seen so you're 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 pretty good here. You got four out of five this week that that, that yes. I've never seen. So uh, you know, hopefully by the time that that I talk to you again, I'll have seen. it. I
1: more. certainly hope so. But, uh,
0: so do I. So do I. All right. Um, one of the things that I mean we've been discussing the Great Escape all week, and one of the things that, that that I like to ask all my guests, and I haven't asked you yet, is is uh, what's your history with uh, with the movie The Great Escape? When did you first see it? Why do you like it? You know, anything you want you want to tell everyone about uh, your history mm-hmm.
1: with the movie i believe i first saw the great escape oh gosh i think it was when i was in college i think i watched it with a number of guys from the seminary because we were going we were going through a military movie kick at the time and we wanted to see something uh, that covered not the front lines but the behind the front lines aspect of it and i really appreciate the movie because it's basically two movies in one there's the setup for the escape and then there's the escape itself and what happens afterwards and you're never quite sure what's going to happen next. You have the, the great setback where the Nazis find Tom. You have the uh, all the creativity and ingenuity of the escapees trying to find ways to cover up evidence of them trying to escape. I love the performances here from Donald Pleasance and James Gardner and Steve McQueen and all the rest of the cast uh, doing really great work. Um, I think one of my favorites, honestly, is Charles Bronson as Danny. I think he does a really great work uh, as Danny in this movie. And overall, uh, I think it's a really good piece of filmmaking that shows the indomitability of the human spirit, of the desire for freedom that is going to override and and motivate all kinds of of risk-taking. But uh, watching it again recently, I appreciated the continuity of the escapees' efforts with the overall war effort. They're very clear they're doing this not for selfish reasons, not because we're unjustly imprisoned or because we don't deserve to be here, but because they still see themselves as part of the war effort. They still see themselves as part of something bigger than themselves. And that kind of dedication to the cause, that kind of selflessness, I find really inspiring. And uh, I would not (laughs) not be that aware. I think I would be mostly concerned about my own neck and my own skin. But for them, uh, even for the romantic people like Henley who want to make it all the way, still there is that awareness of doing this for the sake of the men who are fighting on the front lines to tie up resources back in Germany. And that continuity of the, the war effort I, I, find, uh, I, I found to be a, a more engaging element this time around seeing, seeing this movie most recently.
0: Wow, that's great. That's really great. Is there any other part of the movie that, that you want to quickly discuss? Uh, you well,
1: know. oh, I, I I love the the distillery scene.
0: Whoa! <laughs> uh,
1: that's some good stuff. Uh, I love, I love that comedic element there.
0: So you're saying so you're saying in in. in, in That's what you do in your spare
1: time. (laughs) I am not a brewer, but I have been known to enjoy an alcoholic beverage every now and then. I've never under such dire circumstances as being held by the Luftwaffe, but I can certainly appreciate that uh, American spirit of trying to uh, find some American spirits.
0: (laughs) Great. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining me this week. This, This has been a lot of fun.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: No problem. Do you want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with you?
1: So one last time, you can find me on Twitter at at Father Mowry, that's at F-R-M-O-W-R-Y. Or you can go to my website, fatherdavidmowry.com and uh, share with me some of your favorite Donald Pleasant's movies. Were there some of the things that we just didn't have a chance to talk about during Donald Pleasant's Appreciation Week? I would love to hear about your favorite performances of his.
0: All right, great. And while you're doing that, you can go review and subscribe on any podcatcher that you might be using to listen to this show. You can uh, visit our Facebook group, The Cooler, You can visit our website, thegreatescapeminute.com. Our email address is thegreatminute at gmail.com. And you can contact us on Twitter at greatescapemxm. So uh, hopefully everyone will have a a great Thanksgiving weekend. And we'll be back here on Monday with uh, another guest and another week of Great Escape Minutes to discuss. So until then, tally-ho. (laughs) Tally-ho.